All right, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? It looks like you can. You are listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, Brother Marty Leeds. Thank you all for being here this fine Sunday morning. Um, and all you women that are in here, you all just shut up. You just keep your mouth shut, and you just listen and do what we're t- you do what you're told, okay? All you ladies, that's what that's how it's going to go. No, okay, I'm just kidding. As you can see, we're going to talk about something kind of um, controversial today, a little bit about the role of women in the church and how women in general have been, uh, cross-culturally, um, have... Um, they're just their role in general in, in, in native societies and things like that. So we're going to touch on that. And we're also going to talk about the corruptly or the corrupt earthly Adam, excuse me. And this whole thing was, um, kind of like the impetus behind this or the inspiration behind it was, uh, Holly mystic on Instagram. She's somebody that we met at music and sky. And she, she mentioned me and she's like, Hey, what do you, what do you think about one Timothy where it says, you know, let the women learn in silence. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? It's just like, and you know, in this sort of patriarchal thing, we're going to talk about all of that today, and we're going to go over it. So we're going to read from um, two chapters in uh, Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 1 and 1, uh, 1 Timothy 2. So um, I honestly don't expect a lot of people to watch this, but it is something that when these things come up, I think it's a good thing to tackle. Just like last week, we talked about the fact that, hey, you know, it's like, is it faith? Is it works? What it, you know, what is it? And ultimately, what did we come, what was the conclusion that we come to that we always come to? Well, essentially, people don't know what the hell they're reading. You know, they take things out of context. They take things literally when the you know obviously the hermeneutical approach says not to you know that sort of stuff so um or at least uh, the hermeneutical approach says there's many layers to this thing so that's what we're going to tackle today so this uh, hopefully this will be a good one like i said i don't expect many people to actually tune into this uh, i don't expect many people to tune into anything that we're doing anymore to be honest um, it's really hard to reach people with this sort of thing. People are already sort of, uh, I don't know if it's the time we're in or whatever. They don't have the patience. They don't have the time. They don't like me cursing, whatever it is. They're just not really interested in the mysteries. And, um, as you can see, this church is not going the uh, up. It's, you know, as far as numbers and things, it's actually going the other way. And I think that's just how it is. So, but, so we're going to touch on some controversial topics today, but first we're going to do a prayer. Uh. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would give me an understanding and discerning heart. Help me to be slow to get angry, but quick to respond response to the needs, disappointment, and problems that others are facing. Keep me, Lord, from developing a judgmental spirit that can so often jump to wrong conclusions and prevent me from speaking too hastily, which can, which can so often cause sadness and pain to those that are in need and trouble. Lord, I want to be used by you as a channel of blessing. And too often I speak out of turn and do not show in loving compassion that I would want to show. Teach me, Lord, how to relate to people. And I pray that you would change me from the inside out to be the person that you would, you would have me to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. And this we're going to talk about today a little bit, too, about becoming a, a channel of blessing, a conduit for God himself. And so today, this is episode 103 of the Sunday Services. Let the woman learn in silence and the corrupt earthly Adam. We're going to talk about the second Adam, the Adam Cadmon. We're going to talk about that whole role, about what Adam did in the beginning and not protecting Eve. We're going to go over all of that today. So we're reading from, and usually, you know, we've been doing the Gospels, like, you know, we, we were on Mark and then we were on Matthew. You know, we haven't really done a lot of stuff in the Old Testament as far as, far as like some, you know, we've done some of the main stories and things like that, but some of the other books in the Bible we haven't tackled yet. So I think intermittently anyway, we will do that. So this is what we're reading from today. More Bible study. Okay, so let's do it. Um, and so 
this this actually covers a lot of different things today that I think people will, will actually be interested in. We're actually going to cover, this chapter actually covers a lot of the main concepts that we talk about continually throughout the rest of the book. So so let's do it. One, This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, and this is Paul reading to his son, Timothy. Well, guess what? It's actually not his son. <laughs> so as you'll see here, it's, uh, it's um, where is it? Um, uh, this is the second line. It says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. He's actually not his, it's not his son, as far, at least as far as I know. It's not his, like, biological son. So if we were to read this literally, what would that be? Well, that would, oh, that's the son of Timothy. And that's actually not what it means at all. So immediately, when you read these things, just like we always say, what does the literalist fundamentalist want to do? They just read the surface level and they'll be like, well, my Bible tells me so. And then you don't realize that what you're reading is a cryptic document, that there's many layers and that every single one of these terms, every single one of these uh, things are symbolic. And we're going to go over um, some of that symbolism today. So let's start with Timothy, 1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Okay. Now, when we actually understand that Jesus Christ is the total, what Jesus Christ is, the internal, total fulfillment of your spiritual life, that you have, that he has put a, that, uh, that um, God himself, if you will, has put the pathway down for us to fulfill that grand archetype of the fully spiritualized, realized being. And that's what Jesus Christ is. But most Christians nowadays externalize this stuff. This is a spiritual book. Okay, so lots of issues with the basically the modern understanding of what of what people are reading. So Paul, first off, let's talk about Paul. What's Paul's? What's Paul? Uh, his what does his name mean? Of course, that's this is extremely important when you look into what the Bible is. You know, trying to really, um, you know, um, the 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 main spiritual message that it's trying to relate to you is found in a lot of times the the meaning of these names or terms and things like that. So the first thing we're talked we're we're told about is Paul or Paulus, right? And it's from the Latin adjective meaning small, humble, least or little. Okay? And so when we talk about small, uh, least, humble, little, that sort of thing. Now, of course, we're going to talk about humility. That actually when, you know, um, humility is really the only thing that Satan can't ever get you. Like if, you know, you can, if Satan will, you know, open, when he talks about like the devil or Satan or demonic things, he can get in if you're angry. He can get in if you're frustrated, right? He can get in if you're an egomaniac. But if you're humble, this, Satan's got nothing. Nothing. It's like, what do you do with that? So what is this small, little, humble man called Paul? Well, he's the microcosm. He's the microcosm of the macrocosm. So just in his name, if you understand it esoterically, hey, this guy's small, he's humble, he's least, he's little. He's the microcosm of the macrocosm. He's the Zodiac man. <laughs> it's right in his name. Okay. This is the little bit of the entire universe. And of course, we cover this all the time. Like I said, you can't even read the Bible without an understanding of alchemy. You can't read the Bible without an understanding of Freemasonry. You certainly can't read the Bible without an understanding of the Zodiac man. Okay. Paul in his name also represents the will. And what you have with the character, and even says here, Paul represents the will in a universal sense. Okay. Now, this is also what Paul represents. In, in himself, he represents the, the total spiritual transformation at, through reincarnation. Okay, This is something, yet again, that is completely denounced by modern Christian churches. And the fundamental character, Paul, and we also talked about John and Elias, that these fundamental characters, the only reason that you really can even understand what their position is, is because they've been in a process of reincarnation. Okay, before Paul's conversion took place, he was called Saul. Saul is the name in the Old Testament 
of, of the king or the will. When Saul changed his mind, he became Paul. He became little. In other words, the large personal, per, personal will was converted into the obedient servant of Christ. Okay, so we have Saul in the Old Testament, right? And then we have, he, you find Saul again in the New Testament, right? And there's no direct, you know, besides the name, there's no, there's nothing in the Bible that says, this is the direct character from there. You're supposed to, of course, extract this. But Saul becomes Paul. What does he do? So Saul, Saul in the Old Testament, he died and then was reborn. And he was, and then of course we have Saul. And then when Saul actually went through his, spiritual transformation to becoming the fully realized Jesus Christ that is within him, what did he become? He became Paul. He became the little, the tiny, the microcosm. All right? And how did he do that? How did he do that? What's well, how we all have to do it? Through humility. He was humble. Okay? Paul means, um, Paul is an apostle. Let's go back here. Paul is an apostle. We're on um, just after the comma there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What does apostle mean? The apostle, the word apostle basically has two meanings. A broader meaning of a messenger and then the narrower meaning of an early Christian apostle linked to Jesus. Now, we know that this is really where apostolic succession comes from. Now, of course, when you go to certain churches, Orthodox, maybe Catholic or whatever, like they'll be like, oh, the reason we have apostolic succession is because some old white dudes fucking way back in the day or something. No, no, apostolic succession is found within all of us because we all share, we all drank the blood and the body of Christ. We are all part of that lineage. That's the spiritual message. That is the symbolic message behind that. We're all in the bloodline of Christ now, okay? So we're all have the chance anyway, or put in the potentiality of being apostles, right? So the word apostle has two meanings. It's a messenger. And of course, ultimately it's, it's somebody that um, is doing a missionary, right? Is going on, uh, you know, once again, linked to Jesus, but the, the more general meaning of the word is translated into Latin as mission, missionary, right? Okay. Um, when you talk about actually, let's, um, let's actually, let's go here. Let's go here. He is a messenger. This is what apostle means, a messenger. That means ultimately you're taking a message from someone and you're being the conduit. You're being that channel of a blessing to give it to other people and that's what your role is, okay? That totally requires you to get yourself out of the way. And we're going to talk about ego today and we're going to talk about self-confidence today and how a lot of those, a lot, a lot of people get those two mess, mess, oh, excuse me, messed up. Who is the messenger? Hermes. In fact, the entire Bible is supposed to be done with hermeneutics. We're supposed to study it and read it with a hermeneutic approach. What is the hermeneutic approach for those that you, the, you know, that might be new? You're probably not new, but uh, obviously um, literal, moral, allegorical, anagogical. Okay, anagogical means occult. It means magic. The literal just, of course, just basically means literature. That means the basic surface level of the story. It has nothing to do with the historicity of said book. Okay, so in this hermeneutic approach, basically the entire thing, the whole, the entire process is to get you to the core, quote unquote, message behind each and every one of these stories, behind each and every one of these parables, that sort of thing. So when we talk about hermeneutics, it literally comes from the folk etymology of Hermes, Mercurius, Trismegistus. Okay, and so there's Hermes for you. And what is he doing? What do you see Hermes always doing? Well, he's holding the staff the wand that has what the you know the, the the winged disc at the top there the discs at the top 
or the, the 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 excuse me the wings at the top and then of course you have the 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 double serpent you know it's it's everything that we've been talking about continually so here paul just by saying he's an apostle just by being an apostle what are you doing you're carrying forth that hermeneutic that message that is brought forward by hermes which is what the process of spiritual enlightenment that's what it is that's why he's carrying that staff Apostle. Apost sorry. Apostle. Let's look at the word apostle. Apostle. Let's just take, so apostle means messenger. That's literally what it means, right? And what is a messenger? A person who carries a message or employed to carry messages, right? Okay, so let's look at um, apostle. Let's take out the vowels. And what do you have below? You have postal. Postal. What does the po what does the post office do? What does a postal messenger do? He brings messages, right? And so that's exactly what that's exactly what Paul is doing. That's what any apostle is doing ultimately. Okay, so just within Paul, comma, and apostle, look at what we've extracted from three words, three words from this book. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Then it goes on to say, to unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice it, it, it highlights God and Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, in two different, uh, the, the first two verses. Once again, what is this a reference to? This is a reference to exactly what we just said, the microcosm and the macrocosm. The Zodiac man. The Lord is the sun or the light within you, right? And God is the God above. Okay? So that right there is telling you about the macrocosm and the microcosm, just in the language. Okay? Then it goes on to say, let's keep going here. Unto Timothy, my own son of the faith, God, uh, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, and then it goes on to say, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that's nothing we're going to get into today. That's a whole nother com uh, conversation, but thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Notice the word charge is, is a reference to electricity charge, right? And so of course, what are the things what, what do you think that the two serpents represent? The, in fact, they'll, in fact, if you study like Kundalini and stuff like that, they'll just tell you it's a, it's your electrical charge. The Ida and the Pingala represent the, the positive and negative charge, if you will, a positive and negative. That doesn't really make sense, but you understand what I'm saying. The polarity of the electrical charge that is within you. Why are they serpents? Because have you ever, the easiest way to show this is actually just leave a, if you want to see how electricity like runs, it's natural course, just uh, leave a, uh, an extension cord plugged into a wall. Do you know what that extension cord is naturally going to do? It's going to twirl. It's going to twist. It's going to get serpentine. That's exactly what it will do. Okay, so he's like, ah, oh, I'm going to charge you, if you will, that they teach no other doctrine. Okay, what is the doctrine? We, are, we all know what the doctrine is. This is the number one trine. It's an aspect of 120, one third of a circle. And doct means to teach or instruct. So I'm going to teach and instruct you about the doctrine of Jesus. 
trying so this actually references two things because when you mention two things because when you mention try you're mentioning three which means you're talking about the fundamentals of geometry obviously right try when you talk about trying as it shows here what do you do what are you talking about astrology okay so two of the fundamental sciences that are behind the entire bible are found simply in the word doctrine if you just break it apart what are you teaching i'm going to teach the three you mean like hermes mercurius trismegistus you mean lord jesus christ who is the trinity and then so we have the try and then what else are we teaching oh uh, the stars and that trine that 120 as we've shown before is right in his name so they don't just leave you hanging <laughs> it's like you know no they actually put the math behind it four letters in lord five letters in jesus six letters in christ four times five times six is 120 okay so then it says after this like i'm going to charge you to teach the doctrine of christ okay then it goes on to say these two things neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned so the first thing they say is basically hey don't get lost in jewish fables don't get and this is what people do all the time as somebody that deeply studies the bible and you know kind of knows his shit you know people will like almost get lost and it's like well it says in elijah here that this and this and this and then oh, oh moses did this and so i eat i don't eat pig because it says in the old testy this and this is exactly what they're referring to okay this is exactly what it refers so this is titus 114 not giving heed to jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth this is exactly what timothy is saying neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies you're getting wrapped up in all of this book in this text and giving it all this credence and stuff like that and focusing all your spiritual life on it which number one they don't even know what they're reading as far as we could tell that's but beyond that you're stuck in a bunch of endless genealogies and fables which are what <clears throat> given by the commandments of men this is exactly what they're saying in 2 corinthians 3 now that we are sufficient of ourselves to think and um we have trust through uh, christ to god word right through christ through the perfected self that exists within you christ within you you have to perfect that self in order for you to get onto the other side. We've also talked about that this Christ figure, this Adam Cadmon, which we'll discuss today, is found cross-culturally. Okay? Universal. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but sufficient to be We also made us able, who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. What are they saying here? You're getting lost in a book. You're getting lost in like, well, it says here, I'm flipping through my Bible here, you know, and it says here in, you know, Numbers 3 or whatever that it's, no, 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 you're getting lost. You're, you're missing the point. You're getting lost in a book. You're, you're so focused on the letter, just like those scribes were, and you forgot about what? What's well, the next line that Timothy says? Now, the end of the commandment that God is this, not to get lost in a bunch of jewish fables and genealogies and shit like that but the commandment is this charity love and action out of a pure heart meaning that you're not just doing it because like well i did this thing this is the whole works thing 
right? This is the whole works thing. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to do all these works. And then if I do all the works, blah, 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 blah. No, you have to do all these things out of a pure heart and with a good conscience and faith unfeigned. And last week, we, did, we absolutely defined what faith is. Unfeigned just means genuine and sincere, which means, in short, after all of the fables, all the genealogies, Old Testament and New Testament, do you know what you're here to do? The end of the commandment is this. Love and action out of a pure heart and have a good conscience. And your faith, which is, of course, once again, evidence, right? Evidence of things unseen, all that sort of thing. And of faith, sincere and genuine. That's what it means. Out of all the all the endless pages, out of the Old Testament and the New, all the things that it says here and there, and all the parables and all the fables and all that sort of stuff, at the end of the day, what is God commanding of you? That. 1 Timothy 5. Charity. Have a good heart. Be sincere. Be genuine. Have a good conscience. <clears throat> From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling... <laughs> right? Vain jangling. That's 1 Timothy 1, 6. What is the vain janglings? Well, it's every modern church. That's exactly what they're saying. All these modern churches are hanging up on everything that the book says, not really understanding what it says, and then being like, well, the Bible tells me so. Well, 1 Timothy is saying, hey, man, just as we learn in Corinthians, it says, hey, man, it's actually not in the letter. It's in the spirit. Everybody has it in the center of their heart. That's, what, that's one of the great messages of the New Testament. So, and what is vain janglings? When you talk about uh, vanity, really what, you, what they're saying is surface level. Because that's what, when somebody is vain, it's like they, they you know, they don themselves in, in gold and they, you know, d primp up their hair and they wear nice stuff and they're trying to, they have this outward sort of expression. That's vanity. Well, what is every modern church doing? Vain janglings. They're hanging out on the surface level of these stories, hanging on the letter, not understanding the spirit, and then what happens? Well, they, they end up teaching nonsense, okay? And they desire, as just as it says in the next line, desiring to be teachers of the law, understand it neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Amen. Amen. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. What is the law? Let's talk about law. Number one, we talk about legalities and law, and there's the law that's made by governments and stuff like that. There's actually only the law, as we know. And that law is embedded, just like the truth is embedded in the center of your heart. It's not in the letter. It's in the spirit. Just like the law is embedded in the creation itself. There's a way. There's an order that we're supposed to follow. And, and we can extract this directly from the creation itself. Just like we can extract the, the message of death and resurrection. We don't need the book. We don't need the book. What is the sun doing every day? What is the sun doing every year? It's teaching us about what, exactly what Jesus is teaching about. The sun, death, and resurrection. What is the law? The law is something that is absolutely inherent within the creation itself. The law is the ordinance, the rule prescribed by authority, regulation, district governed by the same laws, something laid down which is set or fixed. And of course, when God lays something down, it is set and it is fixed. In general, what does it mean? It means what is right. In the figurative uses, it's straight, upright, true, fitting, a usage or a custom, okay? So when we talk about the law, 
So it's like, hey, be, uh, you know, uh, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, right? What is this law? Law, I don't know if you guys know this, but law is an acronym for land, air, and water. Okay? And I'm going to show you the math just in the word law. Okay? Just to show you how deeply mystical, you know, these, these terms are. Our, our language is brilliant. There's no question about it. Um, law, number one. L-A-W is seven. Does anybody have any reference to seven around here, right? Everybody knows that seven itself in our language encodes pi. So what is the law? Well, it's everything that we've been talking about for two and a half years or whatever it's been now, right? What is the law? Well, it's almost like it's, it's almost like crafted into the language of mathematics itself. Like the doctrine, if you will. Like teaching and instructing in the Trinity. It's embedded right in the thing. <clears throat> Law is an acronym for land, air, and water. Okay? Which means that God's message, what is right, what is fitting, what he laid down and set and fixed, is absolutely inherent in the land, air, and water. Now, that's a lot of math on the screen, I know. But I'm going to show you right here, like the, this is land, air, and water on the left there. Land, air, and water, the consonants equal 28, and the vowels equal 13, and law equals 7. Let's say this again. The consonants equal 28, land, air, water, the vowels equal 13, and law equals 7. Do you know what that is? Those are all the numbers that you need to create the septenary cipher to the T. You split it in 13 letters, you walk up to the 7, which is 28, and you rest on the 7, which is law. Does everybody see that? That's the ciphers on the bottom there. You, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Walk up to the 7, you walk back down. That's the triangle, that's the doctrine, the triangulation of the number 7. Are the septenary, let's say this, the septenary cipher is encoded in the word law. This is the land, air, and water. We just saw that law equals seven. Well, guess what this, guess what land, air, and water refers to as well? Pi again. And not only that, the Trinity again. Watch. Land, air, and water. The gematria total is 41. Which means, <laughs> which means it, 41 is a prime. So land, air, and water, the acronym for law, 41 is a prime, which means its divisors are 1 and 41, which means it's what? 42. The divisors of 41 are 42. It's a prime. Do you know what that points to? Pi. The place in our number line where pi is established, 13, 14, and 15, that equals 42. So land, air, and water equals 41. That's the gematria total of land, air, and water. 41 is a prime, as we just said, and it's the 13th prime. Well, that gives you the numbers 13 and 41, or 1341. What is that? Once again, it's in, it's a, it brief, it basically in um, a, a, another way you can find pi, just like within 13, 14, and 15. 3141. Now, what is the 41st prime number? It's 179, which means what? If it's a prime number, its divisors are 1 and 179, which means it totals what? 180. This all comes from one word, guys. 
This is the law, the land, the air, and the water. The septenary cipher. And then not only that, you're, you're given pi, pi again, pi again, and then the number 180. The 41st prime number is 179. It's a prime, which means it's 179 and 1, which means it's 180. There's land, air, water. That's the Gematria total of 41 there. So that's all from this. But we know that if the law is good, is a man used lawfully? Now, when we talk about the law that's embedded in the creation itself, do upright people, do righteous, virtuous people that actually have a good, just as it says, who actually live their life with the charity out of pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned, do those people actually need the law? Do, did you really think that we, I get up every day and I'd be like, what should I do today? Well, I'm going to go and look at the Constitution or I'm going to go open my Bible and say, oh, this is what the Bible does. No, you already live the life. You're already living a virtuous, righteous life. You're already being like, hey, I know I'm a sinner. I know I fucked up. I'm trying to get my shit together, etc. right? You don't need the law. What is the law for? The law is for people that don't follow the law. And that's exactly what the next line is. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. The righteous man already embodies those laws by his very living. He's showing it by his grace, by his mercy, by his faith. <clears throat> the law is made for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane. People make fun of, people rip on the Masons because the Masons call people profane. It's not inherent. No, you're profane by your actions. The Bible says the exact same thing. You know how many people I've said, I, I think I was on Crow show and he mentioned this. Crow triple seven, he was just like, oh, they call profane. And some people are profane. Doesn't mean naturally or inherently. It means by their actions. Okay. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers for manslayers. We all know who the who the murderers are, right? For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound <clears throat> doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. It was committed to my trust. What is a trust in, in like financial terms and that sort of thing, right? Well, it's a fiduciary relationship in which one party, known as the truster, gives another party, the trustee, the right to hold title to property or assets for the benefit of a third party, the beneficiary. So we already said, Paul, he's small, he's humble, he's little, he's the microcosm, he's the zodiac man, right? He's also the apostle, which means he's the postal. He's the messenger. He's the conduit. He's that living grace, if you will, um, or the, the, the channel, if you will, that allows those blessings to come forth. And so he becomes the trust so that he can benefit a third party. So the trustee, which would be Paul, is a person or firm that holds and administers property or assets for the benefit of the third party. So who's the trust? Who's the trustee in this sense? Paul. Who's the third party? You and I. Okay? 
Um, and let's keep going. And I thank 1 Timothy 1.12, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Lord. Think about this. Let's go back up here. Let's go. Let's make sure that we understand this completely. Okay. So we're not mincing any words. When we say, when I say, oh, Jesus Christ exists within you and the total fulfillment of your spiritual life is literally becoming the Christ within. It's the mystery of the Gentiles. It's the hope of glory as we know. So when they say Jesus Christ, our Lord, they're specifically referring to the spiritual center and nature that is within you. This is a spiritual book, not a history book. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he <clears throat> counted <laughs> me faithful, putting me into the ministry, just like Jesus Christ counted me faithful and said, you need to, do, you need to enter into this ministry, Marty. And guess what? Paul, just like Marty Leeds, well, then it goes on to say what he, what he was before he got into this, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, just like so many of us, right? We've lived a life where we didn't know. For, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? God doesn't care. God knows you're a screw-up. God knows you're a quote-unquote sinner. God knows that the world is a pretty screwed up place, right? And God knows that, hey, man, you're going to be thrust out into the world and you're going to be, you know, grabbed. But what, what did we say last week, right? You're going to be thrown about, tossed to and fro with every doctrine of the wind. You're going to listen to this schmuck on the Internet and this idol worshiper over here and this person that thinks they know shit and this theoretical person over here. And you're going to constantly give your ear to these people as opposed to the word. And because you did, you were a lost little soul. You were a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. You're a dummy sinning left and right. That's okay. He, God knows that, well, you were ignorant and you were doing it out of unbelief. But now what happened? Paul got on the course. He got on the way. He got on the path towards fulfilling the Christ within. And then what happens? God's like, okay, well, cool. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. Paul used to be Saul. Holy shit. You screwed things up. You ever read Saul in the Old Testament? Right? Okay. That's all good. No worries. Now let's get you on course and let's get you in a fully developed spiritual life. And then you can become the messenger. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say this. It's like, hey, man, uh, this is the faithful saying and worthy of all accepta acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, comma, or uh, excuse me, semicolon, of whom I am chief. <laughs> right? So basically what, what Paul is saying is like, back in 2005, I had a really, you know, when I lived in Estes Park, I had a big run with cocaine or whatever, right? You know, it's like, oh, I used to cheat on girlfriends way back in the day. Or I'd run around not giving shit and just get drunk and be blah, 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 blah. At the, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you were screwing up and you were living a life of quote unquote sin and you were being an idiot and stuff like that. That, that, that's fine. I mean, it's not fine that you were living that life, but it is totally fine that you actually figured out that you were doing dumb shit and you decided to make a, a, a you know, yourself better. You decide to, I need more in this life. That's not fulfilling me. Okay. 
And this is what Paul's saying. Paul was, this is what's like, this is, you know, when people are like, oh, I'm, you know, they get into a depression or despair or they're like, whatever. It's like, oh, I'm just a screw up and I'm no good and I'm a nobody and stuff like that. Hey, guess what? So was Paul. Chief of sinners. And what was he called to do? Speak on behalf of God. He was literally trusted to have a ministry. Now let's read this next line. After I just ranted and raving about how Christ is within you, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me, that in me, first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them, which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting, a pattern, a way, an archetype that you are to fulfill. We all know that pattern, um, it, it's, it's a reference to Patron. It's a reference to Father, the Father in heaven, of course. The Lord, and of course, why is he a Father in heaven? Excuse me, why is, the fa- why is it always the Father in heaven? It's because it's patriarchy? No, we'll get into that. No, because the, the Father is the one who lords and masters over the house. He is there to be the protector, to support and encourage, just as the etymology says. Okay, so when we say, hey, there's there's this pattern, there's this there's this fatherly pattern that has been set out before us, right, that we're to follow. And not only that, just as it just said, Christ is within you and you have to go within to follow that pattern. That's exactly what they're saying. And what does Christ lead you to? Well, that's the whole Trinity thing. I am the father. In order to get to the father, you got to go through the son. Right. And then it goes on to say, of course, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Wait a second. If God's invisible, how do we, I mean, how do we substantiate God? How do we absolutely, in this sense, prove God? We do with our faith, just as we talked about last week. We have the evidence and the proofs. We don't just willy-nilly with blind acceptance believe shit. We say, hey, um, I need some evidence here. The things that were not seen, remember? Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Ever and ever is, of course, eternal life. Something that we can't, we can't even possibly fathom here. They're telling us about this Bible. This is the one thing I don't think people understand. The, and, and lots of religious traditions and cultural, you know, spiritual doctrines and things like that talk about this. That, and this gets into the epistemology, what we can know, what we can't know, what we can fathom, what we can't fathom, that sort of thing. They all tell you that this this place called eternal life is a glory beyond glory that you can't even fathom. Okay? I don't think we think about that enough because we're in the midst of what we're in right now. This place of constant confusion and what's going to happen and you worry and anxiety and, you know, despair and all, all the things that come with being down here on earth. Okay? Now, this is going to be important because what Paul is, this is an address to um, the son in the faith, if you will, right? Timothy, right? And so what Timothy is doing, or what Paul is doing is preparing Timothy for the same sort of essentially life that he's living, right? And he's like, hey, man, I'm an apostle. I'm spreading the word of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm part of the ministry right now. I am, I, in this sense, I am holding the church services, and I'm going to tell you that in that position, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to be a warrior. You're going to be in spiritual warfare. It's literally the next line. 
And this is going to lead to the next chapter and why it's, and we'll get into the women be silent thing and everything like that. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, it's not his son, but if you read it literally, I guess you would have to say it's his son, right? According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. <clears throat> that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Basically, what he's doing is preparing him to be running a church, to be the apostle, right? That messenger. And he's preparing him for war. Why? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay? Um, once again, then it says, have, holding faith and a good conscience, which, have, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Okay? Of whom is Hymenaeus, um, Hymenaeus, I think is how you say that, and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So basically he's saying is like, hey man, you know, you got to have the good conscience and stuff like that. Otherwise it's going to go shipwreck. You're the captain of a ship and it's going to go shipwreck. You're in the middle of a warfare, right? That sort of thing. And then he brings up um, Hymenaeus and Alexander and he's like, hey, I delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So basically you're given these two characters and you're said that they blasphemed and that he, was, he brought them onto quote unquote Satan in this sort of sense, right? Basically being like, hey, you were doing the wrong thing. Okay, what is, um, what is the warfare that he's talking about? It's the spiritual warfare. It's the exact same thing that, and we'll, we'll revisit this again, it's the exact same thing that you see today going on. The churches are under attack. Spirituality and, and a genuine understanding of our world and who we are and what we're doing here, the first place they went, the first place they went and perverted it was the churches. We've talked about this. This is one of the things that Henry Forbes, you know, said, you know, exclaimed numerous times. He's like, hey, man, if you want to find the greatest place in which the, the light has been perverted and this sort of thing or where they're pushing Jewish doctrines is where? The church. Why? Because the church is the one place that's actually going to help keep the logos, the order. That's what it's supposed to do. Now, unfortunately, in our time, they're all gone to shit. I mean, let's just say it, Right. So, but when you're preparing an apostle and a minister to protect that church, you have to prepare him for spiritual warfare. In other words, the churches are going to be under attack. Okay? Now, um, he mentions these guys. Hamenaeus, or, I don't know how you say that. Whatever. Anyway, Hamenaeus is how you say that, and Alexander. So these guys, they were not in the faith, right? And so he had to deliver them to Satan because they were blaspheming. Well, then we say, well, all we're doing is giving two names in this verse. We don't know who these characters are, you know, blah, 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 blah. So then in order to extract any sort of higher level of information here, what they're actually saying, we have to actually go and, you know, go to the, the names of these people and say, what are your names mean? Well, they'll tell you. The first one, Hymenaeus, um, is belonging to marriage the next one is after we just talked about hey man you gotta be you're gonna be in spiritual warfare we'll continue with this in the next chapter spiritual warfare in other words the churches are going to be under attack true logos will always be under attack because of the the antichrist in this world and so then we say what does what does uh, alexander mean it means defender of men so these two guys, they were not following in the faith. They were blaspheming. And what did they not do? What did these two characters not do? And hence why they had to be, quote unquote, delivered unto Satan. Well, guess what? They belonging to the marriage means 
they were, number one, they obviously were um, not engaging in what? The alchemical marriage, the alchemical wedding. They weren't actually pursuing their spiritual life, which means they weren't in the faith. That's what the marriage is, belonging to a marriage. The other, this Alexander, what was he not doing? Defending men. He wasn't looking over his flock. He wasn't being the true pastor. And there's really no other, I don't know how any, how anybody would extract anything from this phrase, this, you know, the last verse here in 1 Timothy. I, I mean, I don't, you know, without actually going into the, the meanings of the names and actually understanding things like the alchemical wedding and things like that, I don't know how you would possibly extract any information from it. This is why you will not go into a church and they will actually do Bible study on these things. Because they don't know. Because just as they said, what is it? There's all these, um, what is it? These people are doing this currently. They're, um, they, for, they've swerved and turned aside, and now they're into vain janglings. They desire to be teachers of the law, but they don't understand it. Um... I want to mention I want to mention this just a little side note before we get on to the next chapter here. When we talk about that fulfillment of Christ within you, that once again this is a spiritual document. This is not a history book, okay? When you read it and understand it this way, this is when like um the, it really starts to bloom. The book really starts to bloom. And you really start, you can, you know, basically get rid of everything that you thought you knew about this and really look at it with fresh eyes. Okay, this is what is this? Corinthians? I don't even know. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, we're talking about the mystery school tradition. That's what we do. We tackle the mysteries. We say, hey, oh, here I'm going to hand you, some tradition is going to hand you a bunch of stuff and say, you need to follow this and do this because of some sort of dogma. And what does the Gnostic say? Ah, uh, you got to explain it to me. I, I need to know what this means. I'm not just going to go and continue to do a bunch of stuff unless I know why. What's the symbolism of it? What's the psychology of it? Does it, you know, that sort of thing, okay? That's what a Gnostic does. In, in this verse here, it specifically talks about the mysteries. Among the Gentiles, that'd be you and I. And what is it? It's the hope of glory and it's Christ in you. Then it goes on to say, whom we preach, warning every man. We warn every man and we teach every man in all wisdom that we may present, present, past, present, future. Who is in the present in the Trinity? Jesus Christ. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Then it ends this as, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So I guess there's the whole like faith and works thing. So how, you know, once again, oh, it's just the faith. All you need is faith. And then they end this is like, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working. When it says striving according to his working, when you say, oh, we, we're trying to fulfill that archetype of what is ultimately the last Adam of the Adam Kadmon within us. This is what this is what Kabbalah is all about. Okay. When we're doing that, what, what are we doing? We're actually setting aside ourselves and allowing the, the, the Christ within to do the work for us. This is the difference between an ego and self-confidence. I've heard people recently talk about, it's like, the ego is a good thing. No, it's not. 
No, it's not. Just read the definition and then read what, what, what we're, it isn't to say that you should not have self-confidence. It isn't to say that you shouldn't be, you know, that sort of, that sort of thing. What, what, these are two different things. An ego is an inflated feeling of pride in your superiority. So when people, and I've heard this numerous times, people are like, ego's good. No, it's not. You're literally, according to the definition, you think you're superior to other people. <laughs> I just dealt with this with uh, Andrew Wilson over at the Crucible. He literally sent me a message as a Christian being like, I'm better than you. Wow, interesting. I wonder how that's going to work out for you. What's the difference between ego and self-confidence? Self-confidence is confidence in one and one's abilities and powers, right? If you're going to be on that course of total fulfillment, what you're going to do is get yourself out of the way and allow God to work through you. How the hell do you think I do these servants? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's, that is absolute self-confidence. And you understand who the true self is, and that's Jesus Christ. You're like, oh, I can, I've got, oh, I've got God Almighty backing me this entire time and what I'm doing? Oh, cool. Ego is like, I'm better than you. These are not the same thing. And this is exactly what it means. So this is what it means when, hey, there's the mystery of Christ in you. And, all, and of course, when we work, we worketh according to his working, not according to what you want in this world. What you want in this world may not be the best thing for you, as we've talked about before. That's where you have to get out of the way and be like, maybe God has a bigger thing for me. Maybe I need to stop trying to dictate my own life and be like, this is what I want. And just listen, listen with your ear to the word. Whereunto I also labor striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. That's, this is exactly what it means by denying yourself and taking up your cross and follow me. That's what it means. It means get your, get your dumb ass out of the way. You've got a head full of ramblings and, oh, maybe I need to do this in life and this and blah, 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 blah. But what you really need to do is get out of the way and let God's plan happen. Um, this, uh, let's, let's end it there. Let's, let's, uh, let, and let's take a break here. Okay. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, we really appreciate the tiny church that we have here. We have a tiny church. It's very small. It's a tiny, tiny church. And we appreciate all the people that do stop by and support what we do here. Um, it's, uh, we love doing it and we would love to continue doing it and we need your support to do it. So, uh, if you'd like to support Nost Academy, 7781 County Road 3440, Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. Or you can just send me a letter and be like, Marty, you suck. Whatever. It's all good. Um, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app and PayPal. And we also have subscribe star if you would like to support. Okay. Let's play, um, a song.
All right. Thank you so much for all your support. Thank you for joining us this morning. And thank you for being here and um, participating in our tiny church. We love you all. We really do. Okay. Um, let's keep going. So we're going to go on to 1 Timothy 2 now. Okay. Now, uh, this is going to talk about the role of women in the church and the role of men in the church. And reading this out of context, reading these sorts of things out of context with not the, without understanding the breadth of the book and that sort of stuff, as well as gender roles, which we're going to do today. Like this, you could, you could read this, take this out of context and be like, oh, look at this. It's just absurd. Women are just like lower class and shit like that. And that's not what this is about at all. So we'll get into that because this is sort of the impetus behind this live stream today. So, uh, one, Timothy chapter two, I exhort, this is the first thing he says, and he's addressing all people, of course, men and women alike. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, first and foremost, let's, let's start here. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made of all men, period. Okay. So men, women, children, everybody, the first thing you're going to do is first off supplications, prayers, intercessions, which intercessions is basically like prayer on behalf of somebody else, like wishing them well and that sort of stuff. And giving of thanks be made for all men, okay? Then it says in uh, 2, it talks specifically about kings, okay? Now, uh, you know, back in the day, we're actually, we should actually have a conversation, a, a live stream about government at some point. We should do that, okay? Um, problems with government, best government, blah, 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 blah. But back in the day, they had kings, Okay. That there would be a king in charge. There would be the guy who was like, the buck stops here with the king, that sort of thing. So then it says, for and they go on to this, they talk about this in Romans too, which people misconstrue as well. We'll get into that sometime. For kings, comma, and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Okay. So the first thing they say is, hey, everybody, everybody supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made of all men. Hey, you know, just prayer all around. Thanks all around. Then it says, anybody that's a man that's in a position of authority, because that's what a king is, that we may lead a quiet life and peaceable life in all good godliness and honesty. Now, they're about to go say that women in the church should be silent, okay? Well, you, once again, you should also take this into context of the rest of the chapter and the rest of the book and everything like that and say, well, you know what it also says? That men should be quiet. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. What does quiet mean? What do they mean here when they talk about quiet? Well, this is exactly what Paul means. Humble, small, little, meek. Meek does not mean that you're, sub meek means submissive. That doesn't mean you're submissive to other men and the commandments of men. It means you're submissive to God. So when you say, hey, lead a quiet life, be silent, that sort of thing. What are they talking about? Be humble, simple, frugal, meek, minimalistic, not flat, just like it said, not flashy. Immaterial, appreciative, grateful, feeling blessed, not yearning, wanting, desiring. Okay, that's what it's talking about here. You're gonna lead. You're gonna leave the. You're gonna lead a life of, in this sort of sense, a monk. Okay, like uh, you know, uh, um, the guy that's up on cold mountain, letting his eyebrows grow long, that kind of thing. Okay, for this is good. One Timothy two three. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. The sight. Ooh, um, oh, let me go back to that. Let me go back to that. I just want to show this. Then let me go back because I forgot a few slides. The sight of God, the sight. For those of you listening at home, I'm showing a collage of the all-seeing eye of God, okay? And what is the all-seeing eye of God? Most people think it's Nathan's, it's bad, and, you know, whatever. 
hierarchical, blah, 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 whatever it is. Well, no, actually, it's talking about the fact that God is, this is essentially like an Akashic records in a symbol, right? That God is watching everything, sees everything, remembers everything, doesn't forget anything, right? Is, is paying attention and looking over and watching out, being the Father, being the Father in heaven that is, pay, that is protecting his dominion, if you will, okay? So we're doing this stuff so we can be in good sight of the Lord, if you will. Okay, and that's a that's a reference to well, I mean, of course, you know, the all-seeing eye. Okay, <clears throat> let me go back here. I want to elaborate a little bit more. We talk about lead a quiet and peaceable life, right? What 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 do we mean, right? Uh, as we said, humble, you know, um, simple, frugal, appreciative, grateful, feeling blessed, that sort of thing, right? When we talk about quiet and be silent, okay, you say silent. Silent is an anagram for listen. Why should you be silent? Is it because shut up, don't say anything because no, <laughs> just be quiet because you're subservient and you need to just follow orders? No, because we're going to see that they say that to about women in the church, right? And we'll talk, we'll talk about that in a second. But a couple lines before, they also say to the men, be quiet, <laughs> all right? Why? Because when you're silent, silent is an anagram for listen. And what are you doing? That's meditation. That's contemplation. That's sitting in, you know, a quietude and things like that and listening for that word, listening for that sound, that light, if you will, that sound and light, that what? That, that I mean, that's Christ. You're listening to the Christ within you. Okay? There's lots of other chapters and verses and things like that and where it talks about the role of men and about what they're supposed to do. We're, when you talk about elders, right, this, and this is the term elders that they use in the Bible. They use lots of other terms, chief priests and all that other stuff. But elders, el, when you talk about elders, what do you talk about? You're shamans. You're talking about like the elders, the wisdom keepers. You're talking about exactly what Paul is, the messenger, okay? So this is what it says about the elders, the, the people that are in Paul's position. The elders, and what is this? Oh, I don't know what chapter or verse it is. Does it matter? One, the elders which are among you, I exhort, I, I say, hey, you, got, you should do this, who am also an elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that should be revealed. This is what you should do as an authority, right? As a king. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. You are not there to just lord over people and tell them what to do. It's king, I follow. You're subservient to me, all you women and all the people in my church. Listen to what I have to do. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you, you're not going to be lords over God's heritage. What's God's heritage? Everything. But being in samples to the flock, to be an example. So if you're in the position of authority, if you're a king, if you're running a church, if you're an apostle like Paul is, what are you to do? Tell everybody what to do. Women, you must be subservient and blah, 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 blah. No, you're supposed to be an example. You're supposed to set the example. Any, any father that's raising a family knows that that's the best way <laughs> to to train your to to raise your children set the example for them because those children what do they do they look up to papa what's papa doing why do you think i started smoking cigarettes my dad smoked cigarettes <laughs> right <laughs> like all those things like oh dad's doing that that's what i should do kind of thing right okay so that's all of this when it comes to like hey, you're the king and you're an authority or you're you're in charge of a church 
Okay, that's the thing. Remember the, the last chapter, they also talked about, hey, there's going to be some warfare. We'll revisit that. Okay, then it says, it ends with here, 1 Timothy 2, 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come onto the, <clears throat> the knowledge of the truth. Oh, here we're back to Gnosis. But it's not about knowledge, it's about faith. And it's about, well, how, if you, you're, you're, you have to come onto the knowledge of the truth. So what are you going to need? You're going to need knowledge, right? That's Gnosis. Because churches don't understand Gnosis, they miss all of it. And this is what we talked about last week. If belief and faith are not based on knowledge, then one could, when one could dedicate their faith to any absurd and faulty understanding of the truth and do. Let's just talk about the modern churches today, right? I don't, I don't mean to, you know, belabor the point and rip out of whatever like that because we're, we are appreciative of the, you know, the churches in many respects. You know, they do hold a semblance of, you know, order for some people and that sort of, that, that's good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to just, you know, berate them or anything like that. But what they're doing is they don't have any actual knowledge of scripture, just as Paul said, and they're going out with their vain ramblings or whatever, vain janglings is I think is what it said, right? Because their faith is not based on any knowledge. Their belief is not based on any actual knowledge. Okay, if belief and, and of course, just as faith is defined, it requires you to understand things. It requires you to understand that evidence of the things not seen, the invisible. If belief and faith are not based on knowledge, then one could dedicate their faith to any absurd and faulty understanding of the truth, and they do. People collectively have faith in Jesus, yet disagree wildly on how to worship this singular truth. Because the, the main issue is that they're, they're idol worshiping. They're, this is exactly what Christianity is not about idol worship. Has nothing to do with it. Yet, how, what does Christianity become? Idol worship. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Okay, cool. I agree. But where, what is that? What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, then the Bible goes and tells you where he is. They're teaching. Most of the churches are teaching. It's outside of you. Lived 2,000 years ago, and that's what you're to worship. Then it goes on to say, and this is important. For there is one God. There is. There is one mediator between God and man. There is. The man, Christ Jesus. M by the way, we'll get into this uh, towards the end, but man is a, term, is, is a term for mankind, by the way. Jesus Christ ends up being the Adam Kadmon, according to the Bible itself, the, the second Adam, the final Adam. Originally in Hebrew, Adam is a plural term because Adam refers to man, which refers to mankind. We'll get into that. The man, Christ Jesus, and we all know, we just talked about all of that, okay? So there's one God. This is where people misconstrue monotheism. They think monotheism is like, there's one God, and that's, that's all, everything that's in my good book. It's all written down. Wait a second, I thought it was in the spirit, not the letter. The very book that says that you, that you think you're supposed to go to that book and listen to it also tells you that, guess what? The truth of monotheism is in your heart. Okay? So when we say there is monotheism, there is only one God. And is it the God of the Hebrews or is it the God of the blah, blah, blah? No, 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 no. No, it's just God. In fact, math will tell you this. Math, even the study of math will, will force you to, to come to monotheism. That at some point, it all comes back to the one. All is one, one is all. All is one, one is all. Okay? So monotheism doesn't mean it's the Christian God. No, it means there's God. Period. Okay? 
you start going Christian God, then you got to listen to a bunch of people that don't have the knowledge. They don't have the understanding. They're into that vain ramblings. For there's one God. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who we understand in our mythology of the New Testament is what? The archetypal Adam Kadmon. This is Kabbalah. Um, one God. In alchemy, this is, let's, let's read this. Um, I think this comes from, ooh, I'm off today. McGregor, I think is who it is. Um, what is it? M.L. McGregor, I want to say. I'm probably getting that incorrect. But in alchemy, whether spiritual or physical, this is talking about monotheism. We are told that the ultimate secret is to find the center of the cross. That's true. A true understanding of the four-lettered name containing as it does the powers of the four elements of air, water, fire, earth, from their lowest degree to the highest aspect, would imply a knowledge and power of creation as well as that of death and destruction. He just referenced the Trinity. Creation, death, and destruction, then of course what? Christ in the middle. <clears throat> is it not for this reason that the pronunciation is... Uh, we'll go into this. Regarding the distinction between monotheism, polytheism, and pantheism, this distinction hardly exists for the initiate, for the Gnostic, for the, for the pursuer of the mysteries. Verily, there is little difference between a single God and a harmony of supreme forces so absolutely linked that the effect would be that of an indivisible unit, a plurality whose action is unified, and unity whose action is pluralized. Okay? So basically, all I was saying, it isn't to say that there aren't many gods. Even the Bible tells you that, that there's many gods. Right? That there's many lords. Right? There's the one lord, that sort of thing, of course. But that exists within all, of course. So, but when you talk about, like, ultimately, it all comes under the shroud. It all comes under the umbrella of one God. Okay? Jesus Christ is the mediator. What does this mean? Well, what does mediator mean? A person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement, a go-between. Just as, just, just as he says. You, in order to get to the Father, you have to go through Christ. Okay, he's the go-between. He's the intermediator. He's the moderator. He's the middleman. Not like in the Jew sense, but he's the middleman. Okay? So that mediator that exists, as the Bible says, within us, is who we have to go through to get to the Father, the, the grand patterns in heaven. To intervene, to mediate, to be, to be or divide in the middle. It literally means in the middle. Who's in the middle of the Trinity? The Father, the Holy Ghost, and who's the second? Christ. He's in the middle. Okay, so he's that mediator. <clears throat> Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time? Due time just means eventually, right? Okay, which basically means he gave a ransom for all to be testified in due time, which means eventually you're going to have to undergo that you know, the, you're, you'd be, um, judge for your sins, that sort of stuff. Where, whereunto I am ordained a preacher. A preacher is basically just a teacher, except preach is, except teaching what? The holy sciences. That's why teacher, preacher are so, actually teacher equals, teacher equals 32 and preacher equals 33, by the way. I'm <laughs> pretty sure. So somebody double check that. I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, an apostle, a messenger, uh, um, if you will, the frame divine being who is Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus, who is, who is, in a mystical sense, exactly Christ, no different, just a different term for the exact same being, as it says in Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus book, uh, the you know the 
Oh, what what are the books that he has? Oh, I think I have it right here. The, the Hermetical and Alchemical Writings of Paracelsus, I think it talks about it. It talks about it, and what's this one here? Um, the Corpus Hermeticum, it talks about that, that the that the Logos is is literally called the Frame Divine Being. Okay? That Frame Divine, that's a frame, that's, an, you know, of you. Okay? That's within you. Wherefore I am ordained and a preacher and apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. That's that's what that's what I'm doing. Okay? I speak the truth. I actually speak what's actually true about this whole Christ character thing. We go over it exhaustively and extensively and we write books about it. And then what do we do? We I teach all the non-Jews, because there ain't no Jews showing up to this church. In faith, in in the evidence of things not seen and truth. In verity, basically, you know, veritas basically means truth. So I speak the truth in truth. So I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. And then I say that Christ exists within you. And guess what? So does the Hebrews and so does the terms and so does the everything. Christ equals 32 in English gematria. Uh, Pi is, is understood as the mouth. Okay, that's what it is. Pay is Hebrew for mouth. In Arabic, it's pi or pay, I think, of whatever it is. It means mouth as well. And in Greek, you have pi. Okay, and then what's in your mouth? There's 32 teeth, 32 teeth in your jawbone. Christ equals 32. So when we say that Christ is the word, right, I speak, right, I'm, this is what he literally says. I'm speaking, you speak with your mouth, the truth in Christ and then all of those, that whole idea actually has math behind it. And not just the 32 teeth in your jawbone, that sort of thing. It's also what the pie is mouth. Well, that's a mathematical constant. And then he's, oh, let me go back here. And then he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And that's a hard one. I even put a hard one out there, right? Because especially in the world that we live in today, it's really easy to get angry. It's really easy to get pissed off. It's really easy to be like, oh, fucking retards. Everybody's an idiot. Right? That sort of thing. And you can also have the doubt. The doubt about like, oh, uh, everything's not going to be okay. Everything's going, everything's just going to continue. It's going to shit and it's going to continue to go to shit and continue... It's just going to be awful and terrible and constantly doubting, that sort of thing, right? That's a hard one. It's, it's def- I mean, it's like, I pray that, that men pray everywhere, lifting up the holy hands without wrath and doubting. That is a difficult one because there's lots of things that make us angry here. There's lots of things that make us want to be like, oh, we need it, you know, that sort of thing. And there's lots of reasons to give us doubt. But ultimately, what the book, what the good book is telling you is this: like, hey man, do you think about this? Do you really think God got got humanity and Earth and everything this far, and then a bunch of Satanists who are spraying the sky with chemicals is going to end it all? Do you really think that? You really think that? No, that's having zero faith. That's living total doubt. That's living in a life where it's like, oh, this, is, this is what happens when you go down a rabbit hole. You go down the rabbit holes of conspiracies and you don't have a firm spiritual backing. You end up in a wrath and anger, anxiety. And that's a hard one. Okay? So this is what he's saying. Um, 
to the men, right? This is what it, specifically, he was talking to the men. He's like, hey, man, lift your hands up. Don't be wrath. Don't, don't have anger. Don't. And then he's also talking about, hey, you also should lead a quiet life. You should be humble. You should be submissive in this sort of sense, not to meek, not to other men, but to God, right? You should live this sort of frugal life, that sort of thing. Then it goes on to say that women, you should do the same. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or a costly array. This is exactly what we're saying. He's saying the exact same thing to the men as he is to the women. Let me go back here. If I can find it, I probably won't be able to, but that's okay. Um, sorry, excuse me. One second. Dun, dun, dun. This. Humble, simple, frugal, meek. Minimalistic, not flashy, immaterial. This is exactly what I mean. This is exactly what it says. Sobriety, broided hair, gold, pearls, costly array, donning yourselves and all sorts of vain shit, you know? But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Ah, oh, there's the works again. <laughs> I guess it's not just faith, is it? How many chapters and how many verses are we going to come and say, hey, it's all about, it's, it's about works too, right? And this is once again, the transcending of opposites, okay? Then it says this, and this is what, this is, you know, once again, if you read this out of context and you don't understand what's actually being said here, it's just like you take this one verse and be like, all right, women, shut up. Just do everything that the men do. Don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is not what this is meaning. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. By the way, they just told the men to be quiet. Literally in the same chapter. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. This is true. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the running of the church. Who's supposed to run the church? Men. Men are supposed to run the church. Why is Father? Why is God the Father in heaven? Because he's the protector. He's the one that's looking over the creation, just as the Father must be the ruler and director of the house. In any traditional society, this is what men did. Okay, we'll talk about this today. This is not putting women down as less or anything like that. This is understanding gender roles and how important they are. And we'll talk about this. Okay. Why should men first off run the church? Men are the protectors. Men are the defenders. Men can handle and face evil. Specifically, when I met Jennifer, guess what? I had been down, not all the conspiracy roles and stuff like that, but a lot of them. I knew a bunch of things. I knew a bunch of the absolute wickedness and evil of the world before I even did Pizzagate Primer, right? Um, a primer. I already knew about child trafficking and stuff like that. I'd seen those horrors and things like that. I particularly went out and when you become a conspiracy, quote unquote, conspiracy theorist, if you will, one of the things you do is you go out and try, you know, face evil, right? Men are the master of the house, akin to the father being the master of the house slash earth. Hence, they're, they're supposed to be the master of the house, just like the father in heaven is the master of the, of the kingdom, if you will. So should the man be the master of the church. Men cross-culturally have usually been the wisdom keepers, elders, shamans. We'll talk about that in just a second. Not even, oh, like, like usually, almost invariably. We'll go over that. Men keep the order and enforce the order. Why? 
just by because there is a logos. There is an order that God has put down. He made men, men, and women, women. And there are certain things that men are good at doing, and there's certain things that women are good at doing. Men have been giving a stronger physical you know, character and, and frame and that sort of thing because they're in the position to be defenders and protectors, period. And this is understood cross-culturally. It's only in our modern culture right now with feminism and all this other stuff that everything has, you know, been turned on its head and the roles are reversed and stuff like that. And pardon my language, but look how completely fucked up it is. So when we read something like this, like, hey, women, you, you really let the men, this is essentially what it's saying. Let the men take care of the church duties. They are the wisdom keepers, the elders, that sort of thing. Oh, this is all patriarchy and all the Bible. It's just all about blah, 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 blah. Au contraire, mon frere. Look at all of the other cultures. And this is something when I was going over this, when Holly had inspired me to do this, immediately I was like, look at every other culture. Do you know who the shamans and the wisdom keepers and the elders were in traditional native societies? Men. Men. Almost invariably. You don't have to believe me. You can ask them yourself. So when people read the Bible, say, oh, the Bible is patriarchal and it's just out there to, be, you know, just completely like make women just, you know, shut your mouth and stay in the kitchen and do as you're told kind of shit. That's not what it's referring to. Men were the one, we, we covered the Medouin Society, right? We talked the, the uh, was the Ajibwe, I believe? The Medouin Society. The Medouin Society is a men's society, Period. Wisdom keepers, elders, shamans, medicine men. Historically, shamanism has been viewed as the first religion of humankind, having been in existence for more than 99% of our existence as a species. Most shamans have been men, with the very occasional women becoming a shaman after menopause, which means the women sometimes do become shamans or elders or wisdom keepers and stuff like that. But that's long after they've had children. That's long after they've, you know, raised the children and stuff like that. And this is literally after menopause. This means like 50s, that sort of thing, right? The distinguishing characteristic of it, this comes from multiple different sources, okay? The distinguishing characteristic of shamanism is the ecstatic trance that the healer enters in order to communicate with spirits, etc. Traditionally, most shamans are men. Though some women do become shamans, but traditionally, who was the person, who was the gender that was in charge of running the show cross-culturally? Men. Why? Because naturally they're put, in the, they're put in the position to be the protector. Medicine persons were male, with rare exceptions. You can find this, I understood this because I had studied Native American cultures and things like that for a while, but this is what you'll find. <clears throat> Um, they could not practice until middle age or later because it was said that if a novice medicine man begins too early, they could forfeit the power or even their lives. This is something that, once again, you know what, Kabbalah, you're supposed to not, or traditionally, you're not supposed to teach Kabbalah till you're 40 years of age. That, like, in, 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 in specifically in Jewish culture, right, when they teach Kabbalah. You're not supposed, why? It's the same reason that the medicine men did. This, the exact same cultural reason that medicine men were supposed to be older men. Why? Because they've been experienced. They've been learned. They've actually had, they've had, they've had ups and downs and they've, you know, they've raised a family or they've been part of the community or they've, you know, they've seen enough in life where they're like, okay, now I'm in the position, I'm, I'm mature enough that I can actually understand what's going on in, in this good book. Okay. Or in spiritual lessons and that sort of thing. Here's another one, right? Where it says women are shaman, but they're, you know, it's a, it's a quote unquote lower level of shamanism. The Songish of the Southern and the Vancouver, Vancouver Island had two sorts of shamans. 
Of these, the higher, the Squinam, acquired his power in the usual way, blah, blah, blah. At the same time, the Siu, which was usually a woman, received her knowledge from another Siu. The former answered more nearly to the common type of shaman. So in other words, the woman shaman, even in this, the Songish, whatever, the Vancouver Island natives, they even they were like, well, women are shamans, but they're not really like shaman shamans. That's the men's role, okay? Once again, why? Is this because women are less than men and things like that? No, because God has made men the, particularly because of our gender roles, the protectors, the providers, the defenders. We just talked, and we'll, we'll cover this again. They just, it was Timothy, talk, or excuse me, it was Paul talking to Timothy, son of the faith, and he's like, look, man, there's going to be some warfare. Who deals in war? Traditionally, men. Men are supposed to deal with war. Why? Because they're physically stronger. The other thing is, what do men do? They, when they go to war, they're sacrificing themselves for the betterment of others. Okay? Why should also men run the church? <laughs> right? We actually hear about this story, and we'll read it again, the rest of it in Timothy. Because women are more, are more susceptible, more trusting, easier to emotionally manipulate, physically weaker. In fact, we will find, just as we read from here, just as we read in the Genesis, how did the serpent get to ultimately Adam to have and, and Adam and Eve to ultimately cast them from the garden. The serpent talked to the woman and the woman convinced the man, did she not? How do you think the devil works in our culture? Get to the woman first. Convince the woman to do some nasty, immoral shit, whatever it is. Convince the woman and then the woman will convince the man. That's exactly what happened to get us here in the first place. Which means, ultimately, we'll learn that, and we'll get into this, Adam was not protecting his wife. And so, therefore, they were both cast out. Hence, man is naturally the protector from evil. This has nothing to do with women being subservient or spiritually unequal. We are unequal physically. Men are stronger. Women are women. Women can give birth. Men can't. There's all sorts of differences and, and nuances between the, 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 the physical man and the physical female. But when we talk about the metaphysical, of course, we're spiritually equal. This is where it gets into the, the alchemical wedding and stuff like that, which, once again, no, no, no modern Christian churches understand at all. Okay? So then it says you're supposed to be silent in church. Well, guess what? <laughs> you know what you're supposed to be in an ashram? Do you know what you're supposed to be when you go into the medicine lodges? and the, and the What are you supposed to do, men and women, when you go to church? Be silent. That's what churches are for. The traditional churches was to go in, sit down, shut up, when it's time to sing, sing. When it's time to pray, pray. Other than that, be quiet. That's what they're for. Okay? <clears throat> the reason men are to run the church and do cross-culturally. This is not some, once again, patriarchal, oh, the Bible is just trying. No. Look at the Native American societies. Almost all men were running the church, were running the, the, the you know, the, were the elders. Traditionally, men's gender roles include breadwitter, leader, and protector. Once again, you go across the world, generally, that's what people did. They didn't fight about the gender roles. They didn't really, like, a man is supposed to do the man stuff, and the woman is supposed to do the man stuff. And it's only in our current time where this is all messed up, and look at the mess we're in. This is order. This is logos. This is basically, and I'll tell you what, the more that you fulfill the role that has been given to you on earth by God, whether you're female or male, the more you fulfill that role, the better off you will feel. 
The more that if you're a man and you have a family, the more that you fulfill the role of protector, defender, breadwinner, the better you're going to feel, the better your wife is going to feel. Gender roles are defined by society. That's, of course, what they say. They're actually not. More in, uh, men are traditionally expected to be more in control, more protected, more suited for leadership. They are. They are. Let me give you another example of just some, just a man. When Jennifer and I went and we went and got our first um, house in Hawaii, right? It was basically like the shack. There was no bathroom. It was just a mess. It was overgrown and stuff like that. We, I walked in and I'm like, I could see through. I was like, oh, oh no, we just need to do this. And we, I was, excuse me. I was talking to Christopher Gardner just last Sunday about this, uh, or I think it was last Sunday, when we had dinner. And he was talking about when when he bought his house, he could see, he's like, oh, we just need to do this and this and this, and I need to work on this, and we're going to fix this up, and then next thing you know, this could be a really good place, right? And in, in essence, his wife couldn't see that. He was, She was like, oh, I don't even know, right? Same thing with Jennifer and I. We walked into our, uh, our place in Hawaii, I'm like, oh... I, no, we can do this. We can do this. I'll put the solar on. We'll get, we'll build a bathroom and stuff like that. She, the same thing when we moved up north in Wisconsin, we moved in and I was like, you know, we, we both walked in and I could see, I was like, oh, we just have to gut this place. We just have to put new floor in and stuff like that. It's like, I could see because why I'm in this sort of leadership, leadership role of being like, okay, I can, I, I'm the, I'm in the one that's purposely put in the position as the man to be like, look, I need to be the one to be the leader, to make a home for my wife and I. We did that in, in Hawaii, we did it up north, and we did it here in Missouri. Okay? Now, could I have done this without her? No. No. But could she have done it without me? Meaning, would she? No. Okay? In most societies, men are regarded as the defenders of the community. That's why they would usually go to war, too. That's why there's the whole, like, women and children first kind of thing, right? Because the men are the ones that are going to be sacrificing to make sure that the women... It could continue on the tribe, could continue on the civilization. We could fight and argue about that, feminism, this, whatever the hell you want to say. Ultimately, God has made that, the, the distinction between men and women, gave them roles, and we're supposed to fulfill those roles. In most societies, men are regarded as defenders of the communities. It's up to them to ensure that the homes and communities are safe from internal and external threats, like serpents, like evil. So, when we say, hey, women, keep silent in the church. What does this mean? It means men are supposed to be in char in charge of the church because they are. Who when you look once again cross-culturally and you look at the the hero, right? What what is he doing? Once again, this is forget about the Bible. Just go to every other culture essentially across the world and what are you going to find? Dragon slayers. Who's the dragon slayer? Is it the woman? No. Why? Because God didn't make the woman the one to be the quote-unquote warrior and defender and that sort of thing. Literally has nothing to do with anything that's said in 1 Timothy or Corinthians, anything at all. Just look. Go across the world. Who's the one that's killing the dragon? There is a serpent that subtly came slithering up and whispered in Eve's ear. Then Eve convinced the man, and what happened? We fell from paradise. So the man's got to be the one to go back and be like, I need to kill this snake. It's a man every single time. This is your princess and dragon motif. This is your, you know, as we talked about many times before, Andromeda and the damsel in distress and all of that sort of stuff, right? This is, this is myths based on understanding the basics of gender roles. Now, why should men 
be the ones in charge of the church, in, in, in positions of authority, even like in, in government and things like that. Because for specifically, let's talk about the church here. Churches who preach truth will always be under attack. They need a leader who can defend and protect it. That is naturally, even just by our physical stature alone, men. Now, now once again, just for us men, just so you know, ladies, um, that puts a lot of stress on us. That puts a lot of pressure on men. I don't think you, I don't think, you know, you recognize that, right? There's a, there's a beautiful balance that happens with this when you just accept your gender roles, though. By the way, while I'm saying this and talking about the churches are going to be under attack and we went into the first verse or first chapter and they talked about the fact that there's like there's spiritual warfare going on, stuff like that. This is the next chapter, which we won't get into. This is what it says. One that ruleth well his, his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Okay. Now, when it, talk, when it comes to how men should treat women, there's also a bunch of Bible verses in there, too, that seem to get overlooked when you just read this literally. It's like, women stay silent. Well, the Bible, fuck it, right? Well, you got to read the rest of the thing, dude. Okay, first off, real, real kings treat women like queens. If you've ever seen a, an actual uh, um, a healthy, you know, um, harmonious relationship, the man is not lording over the woman, just as it said before. You're to be an example. You're to set that example for your community and your house. Real men treat women like queens. One Peter three um, seven. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. There's the knowledge again. Oh my lord, what's going on here? I thought it was just faith. Uh, wait, anyway, giving honor unto the wife. Honor her. As unto the weaker vessel. Oh, she's weaker. She's No, she's literally physically weaker. <laughs> it's just what it is. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. You're, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to honor your wife and be heirs together and live with the grace of life. That your prayers not be hindered. Finally, be ye all, meaning the man and the woman of one mind having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Let the word, this is, what is this? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I can't, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bad with the Bible verses today. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So the first thing is, hey, in your heart, be singing out the psalms and the hymns and have grace in your heart, all this other stuff. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord, Je of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is, as is fit in the Lord. Th that's what you do when you get married. You submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. In other words, don't be a dick. Treat her with respect. Be honorable to her. Also says in Psalms, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. <laughs> the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Trust, honor, live together with a grace of life. So while people in a, in a very literalist surface level, let me say this, vain aspect, 
they look at the Bible and says, oh, women stay silent, and then they freak out. Well, you got to read the rest of the book. That's what we keep saying. And you also have to understand gender roles. There is an order. There is a logos. Men should be men, and women should be women, and men should be doing men shit, and women should be doing women shit. This is, uh, oh, this is women and children first. This is not the best Van Halen record. This uh, produced by Ted Templeton. Diver Down, much better. Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, much better. But pretty good record, women and children first. Men are supposed to be what? Sacrifice too. To sacrifice. If it comes down to it, it's like, hey, uh, they're, 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 you know, there's, there's, there's an army coming over the hill. Who's going to fight that army? Send the women. Now, what happened, why, why gender roles are so important? So when we say, hey, hey, the, the, the men should be running the church, and in this sense, the women should be silent and not be telling the, telling the, the elders and that sort of stuff what to do. Is this just in the Bible? No. Once again, look cross-culturally. Who was running the, who were the shamans? Men. Now, if we don't understand these gender, basic gender roles, the logos, the order that has been put down before us, when we, when we mess with this stuff and we try to rethink it all, do you know what happens? Well, you're looking at a current world in which this is, this, this is happening, okay? This is gender roles are dead. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. They're just dead in the world of, you know, a lot of these young kids. Denouncing basic gender roles leads to horrors. You're looking at it. You're seeing what happens when men should be men and women should be women and men should be doing men shit and women should be doing women shit. If you don't do that, what happens? This. This kind of stuff. Denouncing basic gender roles leads to horrors. And I mean horrors. There is an order. There is a logos. And not following it brings out living nightmares. This is what you have going on right now. Why do you think they are attacking the basic roles of men and women so fiercely today? Trans this, LGBTQ this, that sort of thing. Because it is the fundamental of any working society. So, you know, when you, if, if you look at some just literalist view of the Bible and you read this line or this line here and you don't take everything else into context, the deeper message of what's being said, then you lose what's actually being said. Why do you think that they're pushing female action heroes? They want to destroy the basic logos of this creation. When you don't have women... When you have women that don't follow the customs, the tradition, that try to actually use, actually do this sort of thing, when it comes to leadership roles, usurp authority over the man. Do you know what happens? You get whores. You get TikTok. That's what you get. You're, everybody can look right now. They've got their little phones. They can go out and see endless amounts of women that are not following the basic role. I mean, you can do this with men, dude. Don't get me wrong. Of course. Not following the basic gender roles that have been put forward by them. And you know what happens when you don't do that? That basic logos, that basic order. You create, you put your titties out. You get whores. You get, what is that called? Twerking? Is that what it's called? Anyway, I'm getting old. I don't know what these terms are. This is all young man shit. Anyway, the point is this. That's what happens. This is, this is what happens when you're looking at that. You're, I mean, you're looking at what happens when, when this, uh, you know... <clears throat> 
when the men and women it gets just mixed up and put in a blender and then just like, oh, it's just whatever you want to be and whatever you want to do. No, that's specifically not listening to not not following the basic biology, basic biology of what God has put forward. Why there's a there's a point in the by it's in Corinthians. I don't think I have it here, but it says there's a shame for women to speak in church. It is. What are they referring to? Does it mean though women should just be quiet? No, you're supposed to pray and sing. And then you're also supposed to give thanks in church and all of that sort of stuff. So obviously it doesn't mean that women just shut up and be, no, that's not what it means. But it would be a shame for women to speak in church because if women were speaking in church, that means that the gender roles in the society have been flipped. The Bible is warning us about exactly what happens, exactly what happens when gender roles are fucked with. You get our society today. And that's exactly what it means. This is what it means. No, men are put in the position that they are put in because they have to fulfill a role, and so do women. Traditional family, these traditional sort of family values, this this sort of stuff. Now, mind you, the reason that these quote-unquote traditional family values have fallen apart and have not, for for the most part, um, you know, in general have, you know, disintegrated and that sort of thing is because we will say this, that there are a lot of men back in the day in those roles that were absolutely dominant over the women that were actually like, no, you just do what I say. And I'm the, I rule over you. That's not what the Bible says at all. No. In fact, it says that you're supposed to live with grace. You're supposed to honor, you're supposed to trust. And so we have this sort of like, um, you know, whatever you want to say, this sort of traditional kind of family, and this is this is good. But then, of course, why did it fall apart? Because, well, basically, you know, most of these families were Christian, and it was based on what? Well, almost invariably, a literalist understanding of the Bible. They didn't understand the symbolism of it. They just read, ah, women stay silent and be subjected over to men, and so therefore men rule over the women. That's not what the Bible is saying. The other problem is, is everything is symbolic in the Bible. Not according to Marty Leeds, according to the, to the classic hermeneutic approach of biblical analysis. Everything has an occult or symbolic or magical meaning. Okay? So what happens? People just read, oh, it says women should be silent. The Bible tells me so. So therefore, that's what I do. A book said it. Well, the same book said it's in your heart. So let's not forget that. But what 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 happens if oh, Gnostics don't do so because the Bible tells us to? We have to understand what it actually means. When you don't understand that it's deeply symbolic, when you don't understand that there's a cult, there's a, there's a there's a mystical nature to it. You get a fundamentalist nightmare, and that's exactly what we live through, or what we are, you know, what we've seen. These so, let me give you another example of like reading something completely literally and then be like, well, the Bible says women should stay silent. The Bible also says this and call no man father, call no man. This is what, this is very, you know, direct. Call no man your father upon the earth for one is your father, which is in heaven. If we read women should stay silent in the church, if we read it in the same vein that we read this, then I guess we can never call dad, dad. Oh, this is, don't call that guy father. The Bible says it says, don't call him father. That's what happens when you read it literally. Are you mean to tell me I can't call my father father? I do. I guess I'm going to hell. Or maybe the Bible is trying to 
refer to something much deeper, something much more occult, something much more anagogical. What does this actually mean? Call no man your father upon earth. It means there is no man that ultimately has authority over you. The total authority is God Almighty. Another thing about this is, let's talk about this. The church is, so when you talk about it, it's like, ah, this is patriarchal or something like that. We're just there to be putting women down and all this other stuff. Okay, well, um, as if women aren't like sacred or something like that. Okay, let's let's tackle this one. First off, the, the church is called the bride of Christ. Who is in the church? Once again, according to the book, the very book that we read from, who's in the church? All of us. We are all the church, right? We all have different stations, but we're all, right? Everybody has different stations, but we're all connected. We're all part, we're all parts of the great body of the church. That's it. it says it numerous, numerous times. We've covered it before. I'm not going to cover it again. But so we're all to be, and then what do they call the church? Women. Oh, what's up, ladies? What's up, my congregation? I'm going to start calling you ladies. <laughs> Throughout history, this is how theologians and church leaders have always spoken of the church with the designation of the feminine. When the church is persigned, with the church is assigned a, a personified pronoun in the New Testament, it just so happens to be a feminine one. Let's also remember that Jesus Christ, the most intimate thing that could happen with Jesus Christ, with, I mean, one of the most, was his anointing. And how did that happen? Who, who did that? Women. Women did that. Let's talk about this, and then we'll, we'll get back into the Adam thing, and we'll, we'll finish this baby off. There's, there's, I should have got the verse, but basically there's this verse, and this is, once again, not understanding the deeply symbolic meanings of the Bible, right? And just reading it literally, and says, the Bible says so, so I guess I just do it. Gnostics say, okay, the Bible says so. What does it mean? I'm not just going to continue to do something unless I understand what it actually means. There's verses, and I should have, I should have got it, but basically there's verse, I think it's in Corinthians, where it talks about the women should be veiled. Whenever they go into a church, the women should be veiled. What is the veil? Now, then most people are like, oh, this is subservient and you're just lording over women and they're just like slaves and they're just barefoot and naked or barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen making me a turkey pot pie. No, it says in the Bible that women should be veiled. Why? What is the symbolism of it? Now, most like Amish or Mennonite today, as far as I can tell, like women wear the veil all the time. They wear the over the head all the time. And I don't think any of them probably have any clue why. It's just the custom. It's just the tradition. It's just what we do. And then you don't assert, of course, they're not searching any of the symbolic meanings behind the book. I guarantee that. So they just do it without any understanding of why they do it. Just like the Christmas tree. Why are we putting a Christmas tree in the center of the room? Well, the Gnostic says, I want to know. I'm not, you know, I, I've got no problem doing it, but what is the meaning of it? Maybe there's a reason that the Bible specifically says that the woman should wear a veil and the man shouldn't. Why? What is the veil? It's marriage. It means, and, and you can actually find this. Traditionally in Christianity, women were in, enjoined to cover their heads. And you still have this in some churches today. Once again, I think Orthodox, the or, like mainly the Orthodox churches do this, and I don't, I, don't, I don't think they understand, but, and men were instructed to remove their hat when praying and prophesizing. Wearing a veil, also known as a head covering, is seen as a sign of humility. It's, a, it's seen as a sign of Paul. Humble, small, quiet, submissive, uh, you know, uh, in this sense, meek, submissive to God, frugal. 
as well as a reminder the the veil that the women wear is not to be like you are a woman you need to wear this because you're less than us no it's actually holy and symbolically beautiful because it's as well that veil is a reminder of the bridal relationship between christ and the church when the woman puts that veil on it's what she's saying is like i am married i'm i am married to christ i am married to this church I am married to the holy sciences. I am married to that path towards the Almighty. This is the symbolism of it. Now, once again, look across the world. Do you think this is just some patriarchal man thing in Timothy? No. Look across the world. How about the some Native Americans? They wore your traditional headdress. That was a common thing. The Norse. Oh, the pagans too? What? Yeah, they did that shit too. The Amish, the Buddhists, the uh, Catholic nuns, the Druze, Eastern Orthodox, the Hindu, the Jain, Mennonite, Muslim, Orthodox Jewish, Sabian, Sikh, Taoist, Zoroastrianism. Do you know who runs the Zoroastrian church? Men. Do you know who runs the, the Buddhist temples? Men. Do you know who runs the Amish church? Men. <laughs> doesn't matter what culture you go to, your basic gender roles of, of the man being the leader and the women being right in the position that they're in, number one, what do women usually do? Well, they raise children. And in fact, back in the day, women, a lot of times women would have eight to 13 children. That was like your average or whatever, right? They don't have that anymore, which means how in the world, how in the world would the woman, if she's there raising all that many children, is she supposed to go then and be the defender of the church and crawl through scripture and stuff like that and and understand the anagogic nature of, you know, any of that? Like, no, that's not, you know, that's just not happening. Okay? So, meanwhile, while a lot of people will take these things out of context, not understand the greater breadth of what's being said, and then be like, it's patriarchal, or it's just women being, well, yes, that can happen. Absolutely, and has happened, and does happen, right? But that's that's not a problem of, you know, the Bible. That's the problem of people reading the Bible. It's got nothing to do with what the what the Bible's actually saying, okay? So, ah, uh, women cover your head. Women do that all over the world. And actually, when we understand the deeply symbolic nature of it, it's no different than putting a Christmas tree in your house. It's a beautiful thing. Now, once again, we're Gnostics, so we're not like all dogmatic. Be like, if you come to church, you women must be. No, but if you did, it would be like, okay, well, you know, I think you, un why are you doing that? You understand the symbolism of it. Okay. So hence why women should not teach in the church. That's not their role. And, it, and that's cross-culturally. And women want to get upset about that or whatever. That's just how it is. Once again, if we accept these things, understand them for why they are, and fulfill these things in your life, you are going to be better off. You will feel better. Then it goes on to say why women shouldn't teach in the church. And then it goes right back to Adam and Eve. It's literally the next line. 1 Timothy 2, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Actually, he was deceived, by the way, because he ultimately ate the fruit. But what are they saying here? <clears throat> Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. We'll get into that in just a second. The woman was deceived. Once again, why? Why in the story 
Why are we get? By the way, Adam and Eve. It's not like there was two, you know, English people in a garden, you know, naked and at one time, and then you know there was actual snake that came up and started, you know, singing songs into the ear of Eve and that sort of thing. This is obviously symbolic and metaphoric. You know what? One of the things you can ab- absolutely extract mathematically from Adam and Eve the chromosomes that create that that the twenty two autosomes and the and the chromosome that actually creates. The, that is given between the man and the woman, or, you know, they each, they each I'm sorry, <laughs> screwed up my words here. They each, they each give 23 chromosomes. The man, 23, woman, 23, they come together to give 46. The actual autosomes of 22 and then the chromosome of XXXY or whatever, that's actually found in the names of Adam and Eve. The math, okay? So there's lots of things going on with the story of Adam and Eve. One of the stories, of course, that is going on is telling you that, look, women are more susceptible. Men have to be in the position to be the protectors of them. They're trusting. They're easier to manipulate. They are physically weaker. When we were at, we were in Hawaii, I remember I had to haul things of wheelbarrows full of rock. I did like 25 wheelbarrows full of rock in a few hours. And Jennifer did like two. (laughs) Okay. Why? Because I'm physically stronger. God made it that way. I just embody that, embrace it, and say, oh, okay, when it comes time to chop the wood, I'm to be the one to chop the wood. When it comes time to shovel in the, the, the rock, I'm going to be the one to do that. Does it say women can't do that? No, of course they can. But when it comes to, you know, just in general, the logos and the order, men should be the one usually to do that sort of thing. This has nothing to do with women being spiritually unequal, Okay. So now it says this Adam figure. Let's talk about Adam. Let's talk about the roles of men and women and Adam and who this Adam character was. And once again, when we talk about Adam being the Adam Kadmon, we find this cross-culturally. We actually just covered this last live stream. We'll, uh, no, we'll talk about it here. These are the verses that we actually establish this Adam character. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, two different sort of like, you know, kind of creation stories, if you will. So God created man in his own image. So there's an image of God. It's, it's in God's imagination, by the way. We're in the imagination, the dream, if you will, of God. And so we, so we are created in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So man is what? Mankind. And was created in God's image. And in that man, it's both male and female. Male and female created he, them. This first Adam character, in Hebrew, Adam is plural. Adam is a reference to mankind. Then it says in Genesis 2.22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. This is once again... This is, this is a mystical way of saying that the woman was within the man. So this Adam character that he created in the beginning, God, that made in his image, is hermaphroditic, is an androgynine. Do you know where you'll find this concept? All over the world. We just covered it last week about the, about the character that's strung between two pillars. I don't have the graphic, but the character that's strung between two pillars, you'll find it everywhere. You'll also find an androgynine, a man-woman central um, figure, first, first figure, if you will, in the Norse stuff. Emer. Emer is an, is an androgynine. 
Most people assume Adam is the man, is just a, a man character, and then the then created the woman. No, the woman and the man were one mankind in the beginning. And this is where alchemy comes in. Once again, why? There's no possible way. There's no possible way for you to understand the deeper context of what's going on in the Bible unless you've done your due diligence in the study of alchemy. The completion of the great work, you getting back to what is you fulfilling the Jesus Christ within you, you fulfilling what Jesus Christ is, the Adam Kadmon within you, that means you come back to the perfected man, which embodies both of the sexes. This, now, we talk about the first and last Adam. Now, this is where it comes in, where, where um, when we talk about, oh, the woman made the transgression, and so therefore it's the woman's fault. Well, the story doesn't end there, guys. All right, you got to read the rest of the book, okay? So you have the first Adam and the last Adam, and the last Adam is Jesus Christ, okay? And that first Adam is the one that, as you can see on the top there, that's um, that's Dura. And um, the, they were they were reject they were rejected they were they were thrown out of paradise right even though I guess it was the woman's fault God decided to throw Adam out too <laughs> right why well we'll talk about that the first Adam as we know is full of guilt and condemnation and separation and death right and the Adam Kadmon represents the ideal the perfected man this is the completion of your spiritual work the last Adam is the Christ. No sin in him, our sin on him. No guilt, no condemnation, no separation, life eternal. Okay? It even says Manly Palmer Hall here, the human body, like that of the universe, is considered to be a material expression of ten globes or spheres of light, the ten emanations of God, the angels. Therefore, man is called the microcosm. He's called Paul. A little world, built in the image of the great world of which he is a part. The Sephirothic tree is sometimes depicted as a human body, thus more def, uh, definitely establishing the true identity of the first or heavenly man, the Adam Kadmon, the idea of the universe. So there's that first Adam, and there's a second Adam. And even though it was the woman's fault, God decided to throw Adam out too. He, he ate the fruit too. He listened, he listened to the woman. Well, and then the whole goal is to ultimately... Um, fulfill this archetype, if you will, within us. Become the Adam Kadmon, become the Jesus Christ, that sort of thing. But then God threw Adam out. Okay, well, how are we supposed to get back to paradise and fulfill this archetypal Adam if God booted him out? Well, that's why you need the second Adam that has no separation, no guilt, no sin. The Bible even tells you what, what God thinks about this second Adam goes into detail, in fact. There's one glory of the sun. What is this? I don't know. I don't know what chapter this is. I think Corinthians, Ephesians, something like that. There's one glory of the sun, another of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star different from another certain glory. So is also the resurrection of the dead, death and rebirth. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. What we're going to see is when we read the rest of this, what, we, let's reread this. So is also the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in Adam, it is raised in Jesus Christ. It is sown in Adam, it is raised in Jesus Christ. It is sown in Adam, it is raised in Jesus Christ. It is sown in, 
in a in a atom an Adamic body, it is raised in the body of Jesus Christ. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written: the first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which was spiritual. The first Adam was not spiritual. But that which is natural, the first Adam was natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. That's Jesus Christ. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man, Lord, our Lord within us, Jesus Christ, from heaven. So, as is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. As is the heavenly, such are also that they are uh, that is heavenly. What is this saying here? This first Adam with Eve, sown in corruption, dishonor, weakness, sin, separation, guilt, condemnation, that sort of stuff. Are we supposed to go back and fulfill that? No, we're not. Okay? First, Adam was made a living soul. <clears throat> The last Adam, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was a quickening spirit. Let's talk about this. So why did God throw out Adam and Eve? Well, first off, um, Adam ate the fruit as well, that sort of thing, right? And then Adam never protected Eve. The serpent came along. It was Adam's job to protect the woman because she is the one that is what? More susceptible to evil. And so Adam didn't do his job, did he? No. And what did God do? He booted his ass out. It was his role. It was his job to make sure that if some freaking serpent came along and was like, you should totally listen, that, you, that, that he would protect the woman from the evil. And he didn't do it. Why? They tell you. Because this Adam wasn't a heavenly Adam. It was a corrupt Adam. It was, it, was, it was sown in dishonor. It was sown in weakness. It was a natural body. It even goes on to say that this Adam, this first Adam was a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Spirit and soul, what's the difference? The first Adam was a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, was a quickening spirit. What's the difference between soul and spirit? Soul is a substantial... Hi. <laughs> Hi, bud. Look, you can't you can't be messing with me right now. I got a church service. <laughs> All right, smokestacks, get down. The um, living soul, the soul is what a substantial entity believed to be that in each person believed that lives, thinks, wills. So it's basically the mentation. It's the it's the psyche. In fact, soul I think in Latin has a has a root to psyche. I believe. Uh, don't quote me. But it's the emotional part of a person, the animate existence. That's it. The spirit, though, on the other hand, is what? It's the animating or vital principle in man and animals. It's the breath of life. It actually encapsulates the soul, the spirit, the soul. Right? That's what spirit means. So when it says here that that first Adam, he was a living soul. He was just the natural body that was just, you know, thinks and feels and wills. And it's the emotional part of the person. Sort of lower level. Then you get... It's the emotional part of a person. Then you get the quickening spirit that is Jesus Christ, the last Adam. And what is he? It's the the spirit, the quickening spirit makes very quickening faster, right? Is the essence of life. It's the innermost part of you. So they're telling you that that old testy shit, 
That first Adam that came along was corrupt. Sown in weakness and dishonor and condemnation and sin. Hence why he was cast out. Why? He didn't protect his wife. He wasn't looking over the church. He wasn't being a leader and protector of his community. If it was just Eve that made the transgression, why did God throw them both out? And then it ends with this. And Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. If they could do, just as we just talked about, what was the role most women in most societies, what were they doing, especially back in the day? Raising eight to thirteen children. Okay? So there that's the that's you know, and once again, it's it's just like if you see um Oh, who's the who's the oh mother the alchemist on 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 Instagram? She's this she's a woman that follows. She's like completely fulfilling the role of mother, stay at home, take care of the house, raise the children, support the father, and this woman is like beaming. All right, she's like she's like constantly lit up, right? Because she's fulfilling what she's supposed to do. Okay. When it talks about notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue, if they, the man and the woman, continue in faith and charity and wholeness with sobriety. Now, sobriety doesn't just mean you just can't have a drink; it just means sobriety of mind and things like that, right? But when it talks, when you talk about childbearing, so I guess according to the Bible, if we're going to read it literally, and we're just going to not extract any of the anagogical meaning of this, we say, oh well, it's like oh, there's childbearing. So I guess if you don't have any children. Then I guess you're not you're not going to get into heaven. Once again, this is the literalist fundamentalist view. I guess we could say so. Therefore, if you don't have children, you're literally a degenerate because degenerate means to produce or to beget, and D is a negation. So any man or woman that doesn't have a family, they're degenerates. You mean like these people? You mean like the nuns? <laughs> they didn't have any children. <clears throat> these nuns that are wearing that veil, right? Like my mom, you know, my great aunt is a, was a nun. And my mom used to say she used to love going to see the nuns at the convent because they were just the most loving, caring. They were just so full of spirit and life. And they were just so giving and kind and, you know, that sort of stuff. And what did they dedicate themselves to do? What what did they, they, they were teachers. That's what they did. They, they helped raise the community. Even though they didn't have any children, what, so look at these degenerates. What, what did they do? They dedicated themselves to the faith. They dedicated themselves to that which is good, true, right, and beautiful. They actually ended up, even if even not, even these nuns that didn't have children, what did they do? They ended up raising children. They were to be the ones that teach in the school and that sort of stuff. Okay? So, so once again, when we, the whole point is this, is that if we, and this will just be like my, <laughs> my, uh, my calling card or whatever for the rest of my life or whatever. But if we read the, this, this book in, in a literal sense, we have issue upon issue, problem after problem. We really do. Call no man the father. Why can't call dad, dad? What? Right? And this, this is what happens. And this is what's happened to literalist, fundamentalist Christianity. And this is what we rail against all the time. Because they're thinking that they're reading something, they're extracting what what they think it says, they're living by these credos, and chances are they don't understand any of the symbolism behind it or what it actually means. I don't know I don't know of a Christian. I you know, it was 
it was years. It was only until I got into Kabbalah that I had ever even heard, because I wasn't raised in the church or, you know, read the Bible and studied it like most people. I had never even heard of a church mention the second Adam. I'd never heard a Christian mention it. And I, it took me to get into Kabbalah to even hear about that there was a second Adam. Do you know why I didn't hear about that? Or do you know why most Christians don't talk about that? Because they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. They don't know what it means, what it's there for, what it's in reference to, why it's important. What is the role of Adam and Eve and why, why was Adam cast out and all this other stuff? They don't have a clue. But yet, they build belief systems, spirit, you know, dogmas on this. And what does it do? Ultimately leads us away from the actual knowledge of truth and the actual message that Paul brings, that any uh, apostle brings. And that is to get yourself up into heaven by flapping those wings and flying up north, okay, and being a gut pirate. All right, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate anybody that, uh, everybody that stops by and uh, absorbs these live streams and um, listens. We appreciate it. We really do. Uh, you can become a good bird at Subscribestar. You can become a Phoenix bird and a Keeler bird. You can become a Cygnus bird. Or you can become Time of the Pete, my bird. That's our old cock. That's our old rooster. Um, snail mail. Uh, Nost Academy, 7781 County Road, 3440 Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. And if you'd like any donations, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, Subscribestar, PayPal, all that sort of thing. If you would like to keep, if you would like to see us keep going. Uh, we're streaming to... YouTube, Rockfin, and Rumble, not Instagram. I, I don't know if we're going to continue to stream Instagram. It's kind of a, I don't know, I don't think many people are over there, so that's fine. But uh, thank you to Content Safe, always for getting us on BitChute. We appreciate it. Podcast, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, a bunch of different places. And for Rockfin members, you can get all the sermons, uh, Tuesdays with Marty, uh, archive videos, documentary films. I got another one coming out. It's supposed to, by the way, uh, documentary film is supposed to be out this Valentine's Day, but I hate to say this, but I think it's going to get pushed just because this thing is a freaking behemoth. And um, I actually got a little sick yesterday and this morning and stuff like that. So that kind of took me out. Anyway, um, so I we're supposed to have a documentary out this Wednesday. It's probably not going to happen, though, just because... Like I said, this thing is a monster and it's, I got a ton of editing to do and stuff like that, but it is going to, I hope it's going to be good. I don't want to keep talking it up because maybe it'll turn out bad. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see, right? Anyway, um, a bunch of the documentaries, uh, Astrology, Book of uh, Mark. We need to talk about the Jews, Pizzagate, Flat Earthers, Dear Wolf Gang. If you'd like to see that, that's all on the documentaries. And if you ha if you don't know anything about Sandy Hook, that's the video you should watch. Uh, we are available on the Flat Earth Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. That's Dave Weiss's app. He's in Anarchapoco right now. He's having too many drinks. He's, you know, basically berating everybody's ear about the Earth being flat. And the Sunday sermons are on there. So that's cool. And, of course, we have the church store books, um, all sorts of stuff. Okay, we've got Bible and rosary packages and music and all that sort of stuff. So, okay, and I think that's going to do it for us today. Oh, I have to say thank you to all the beautiful people. Thank you so much. Um, Cat Links, silver and gold. Cat, Cat Links sends us some silver and gold. Thank you so much, Cat Links. We appreciate it. We appreciate your letter too. Anonymous, um, thank you, Anonymous. Not the, not the group. Anyway, uh, Daniel Knight, William Christie, thank you for you and Jen's work. Thank you so much, William Christie. Kurt Kling, Klingle, am I saying that? Klingle? Bruce Parson, Joshua Crawford, Daniel Hager, Will and Susie Gensky. Will and Susie Gensky, come on now. Come on now. You don't need to be... Anyway, we appreciate you so much. Jeremy Hines, 
Happy rising, my friends. Happy rising to you, Jeremy. We appreciate you so much. Leah Steele, Julie Pradal, thank you so much, Julie. Eugene Jacques, Gabriel Ober, Christina Bangs, thank you so much. Um, ooh, this is this. Oh, yeah. Alicia Crawford, John Vina for the best church ever. Good to see you, John. Always. Thank you for always being here. Thank you, Virginia Murray and Ray Brackman, for always being here, too. I'll never bail on you, brother. Thank you so much. Jared Poole, come on now. Carmen Taylor, thank you so much. Janine M. Grassi, God bless you for blowing my mind this morning. Did I really? Did I blow your mind? I thought it was I thought it was going to be a good one. You know, controversial topics for sure, but, you know, it's good. Lucy Short, Alan Woodward, awesome today. My fave so far. Really? Okay. Eric Colsell, for two days, two months, before two years, thank you. Awesome. Ben Krupa, this is all I got, bro. Thanks for everything. Ben, we just appreciate you being here, brother. Uh, Anna Medina, always great to see you, Anna. Appreciate you guys. Alex Meter, thank you, brother. Spencer Thurman, Sunday service. Gen X rated, thank you so much. Andrew Masonette, forget the Super Bowl. I didn't even know it was the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, it is, no, I, I think I did know that. I didn't know it last week. Forget the Super Bowl. It's Sunday with Marty Leeds in the best church ever. Small Axe, crushing it as always, my brother. Love you guys. Thank you, Small Axe. Adam Z. Lublina, had to turn off my NordVPN to make this small contribution, Professor Xavier. Okay, thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate you, uh, everybody that does stop by. And um, let's do this. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ onto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. We're going to listen to, um, this is Five Times August, and this was live from Music and Sky, which was last year, Kuyama Valley. And this is a song called Fight For You. It's a really beautiful song. I don't know if you guys know this song, but he's got a, he's got a few tracks that are really, really great. So we're going to listen to that. Okay, that's going to do it. Guys, we will see you next week. We did try to do, um, well, I'm going to try it again this week because I want to go live. I'm going to try, try to do live more, but we tried to do the video just yesterday in a test and it just didn't work. And I'm not sure if it's a weather thing, if we can only do video when it's clear out. Which with chemtrails, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. We'll see. But um, the video just didn't work. So we have to stay with audio for right now, unfortunately. So, But I would like to get back on live um, at least you know, um, a couple more times a month. Because there's other things I'd like to cover too that you know, I'm not in a church service sense. So we'll see about that. But anyway, that's going to do it. Okay, guys. Um, we will see you next week. And thank you so much. We love you. As always, many blessings and much love to all. Through the madness and the lies As they're holding back the truth No matter what they try I will always fight for you I will save your innocence They are trying to remove I am here at your defense and I will always fight for you. Yes, I will always fight for you. I will stand here in the way and I will not give up on you. I will shield you from the pain. In the battle on the field There is evil on the move 
But I hope that you can feel that I will always fight for you. In the darkness of the times, there's a light that shines the proof. It'll soon reveal the crime, so I won't stop this fight for you. Yes, I will always fight for you. I will brave every attack, and I will not give up on you. I will always have your back. So to every single mother, father, stand up for your sons and daughters. Do not back down. Don't let up. You are all they have for armor. So make this award to win. Look in their eyes and tell them that I will always fight for you. I will stand guard at the gate and I will not give up on you. I will stop each shot they take. I will always fight for you. I will always fight for you.